Good morning, all. Great to see you. Welcome to Union Chapel. As you know, the last couple of weeks, we've been trying to motivate, encourage, inspire you to be invitational as we contemplate the big push beginning next week. And so uh, one of the things that I thought would be helpful for you to be encouraged to do so is to hear part of my wife Beth's story. She has a story of life change and transformation because uh, of people's influence in her life and the invitational nature of that influence. And so uh, welcome Beth, if you will. Well, Greg's right. I do have a story, and uh, part of the reason why they asked me to share my story is because of the invitation that influenced my life. So here's my story. I don't remember too much before I was the age of nine. Um, my mother passed away from breast cancer, from a long battle with breast cancer when I was nine. And from that point on in my life, I was angry confused, and I was hurt. Um, I had a wonderful dad, but he had his hands full raising me. I also had an older sister and an older brother, but he really had his hands full with me. <laughs> and um, I was raised Catholic, and I had a large extended family in our small town. I had about 25 cousins, so I had lots of aunts and uncles and other people that were trying to help me. However, I blamed God and I didn't want anybody to tell me what to do. Needless to say, I was frightened, I was fighting and I was fussing and I was cussing <laughs> with anyone that crossed me. So if you, if you got in my way or you bothered me, you were getting knocked upside the head from me from my teachers, to my aunts and uncles, to my classmates. It was, I, I was really not a very good person. And I, I attributed that just because I was angry and didn't know how to handle my grief. At the age of 17, a friend invited me to his church. They were having some special meetings and he invited me to come and I thought, well, I guess he thinks I don't know who God is. I think he, he must think I don't know who Jesus is or who the Holy Spirit is. So I guess I have to go to these meetings to prove to him that I know who God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit are. Well, I got to the meeting, and it was the very first time I had ever heard that I needed a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And the, so that day, on February 19th, 1972, I asked Jesus Christ into my life. My life has never been the same. God took away the anger and the hurt and replaced it with his love for himself and for other people. So my encouragement to you is that there are other people out there that you know, loved ones, classmates, co-workers, friends, they all have stories. Maybe they've not shared their story with you. But I am eternally grateful to my husband, Greg, because <laughs> he's the one who invited me. And maybe someday someone can get up and tell others that they are eternally grateful 
for you. Of course, Jesus is the one who matters, right? Of course, I don't get enough credit. <laughs> you, you should have seen her before, when Jesus had her by himself. It was quite a... She wasn't lying about that. She was a pistol. <laughs> she was great. She's really pretty, too. So, it's a pretty pistol. I was in front of some leaders this past week, and... And I told them that there are three things that I think are essential to success in life. Uh, career life, relational life, marital life, faith life. These three essentials. One is purpose, sense of purpose. I, I know who I am and I know why I'm here and I, and I have these goals in mind and they're God-given and so this is my purpose in life and I'm heading that direction. The second thing is passion. To actually care about the right things and important things. And I think passion is essential to success. And the third thing is persistence. You know, 90% of life is just showing up. And anybody can give up. And many people do give up. But if you persist and persevere, it will be an important ingredient to finding success and meaning in life. So purpose and passion and persistence. Today I want to talk about, in the context of, of motivation, motivation for being invitational toward the big push, I want to talk about passion. Talk about it in general, but we can make the specific application as we go along. And I want to challenge you today to think about your own life and about how passionate you are about the things that are most important. We're going to use as our text today from the New Testament book of Titus, chapter 2. I'm going to read just a handful of verses there, 11 to 15, and we will hear Titus uh, giving us focus about where our passion should be directed, and how enthusiastic we should be in living that passion. So Titus chapter 2, if you have your Bibles, open up there. If not, we'll project the words on the screen. And as you're able, as is our custom, would you please stand to hear God's word. Verse 11, for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. Now, you see the word eager? We could replace that with passionate. Passionate to do what is good. Eager to do it. These then are the things you should teach. Encourage and rebuke with all authority. Do not let anyone despise you. May God inspire us today through this important word. You may be seated. Thanks so much. I've put a definition of passion there on the outline in your bulletin. I hope you have that in front of you. Passion is an intense emotion. It's a compelling action, a strong devotion to something or person. I've observed over the years, and especially in the most recent year, I've observed an absence of passion in many people's lives. More and more we see in our culture folks who are options-oriented rather than goal-oriented. We've adopted a consumerism mentality. Consumerism mentality about life, all of life. If this job doesn't suit, then change. This church doesn't perform, then on to the next. 
this marriage doesn't make me happy, then I'm out. So what happens as a result of the lack of passion? I, I uh, want to offer five just practical ideas today about, about uh, why we experience in so many ways a lack of passion in our culture today and perhaps in our own lives. Number one, you want to write this down, allowed something precious, something precious to become familiar. We lose our passion when we allow something precious to us to become familiar. Max Lucado is a Christian author many of you are familiar with. He wrote a book recently called God Came Near. And in this book, he tells the story of nearly losing their two-year-old daughter in the family pool. So they'd grown lax in their attentiveness, taking for granted the life that was precious around them, and they nearly lost her. And he writes in the book, in a matter of moments, we almost lost her. The thought was numbing and convicting. It was a divine slap and gracious knock on the head of severe mercy. Because of it, I came face to face with one of Satan's slightest agents, the agent of familiarity. His commission from the black room is clear and it's fatal. Take nothing from your victim. Cause him to only take everything for granted. He'd been on my trail for years. I never knew it. I know it now. I've come to recognize his tactic and to detect his presence, and I'm doing my best to keep him out. His aim is deadly. His goal is nothing less than to take what is most precious to us and make it appear as most common. To say this agent of familiarity breeds contempt is to let him off easy. Contempt is just one of his offspring. He also sires broken hearts and wasted hours and an insatiable desire for more. He's an expert in robbing the sparkle and replacing it with the drab. He invented the yawn. He put the hum in humdrum and his strategy is deceptive. He won't steal your salvation. He'll just make you forget what it's like to be lost. You'll grow accustomed to prayer and thereby not pray. Worship will become commonplace and study will be optional. And the cover, the cross will be with dust so that you'll be safely out of reach of change and transformation. Nor will he steal your home from you. He'll just do something far worse. He will paint it with a code, coat of drabness. He will replace evening gowns with bathrobes, nights on the town with evenings on the recliner, and romance with routine. He'll scatter the dust off yesterday over the wedding pictures until they become the memory of another couple in another time. He won't take your children. He'll just make you too busy to notice them. His whispers to procrastinate are seductive. There's always next summer to coach the team, next month to go to the lake, next week to teach Johnny how to pray. He'll make you forget that the faces around your table will soon be at tables of their own. Hence, stories will go unread, games will go unplayed, hearts will go unnurtured, and opportunities will go unnoticed. All because the poison of the ordinary has deadened your senses to the magic of the moment. Before you know it, the little faces that brought tears to your eyes in the delivery room has become, perish the thought, common. Unless something changes, unless someone wakes you up, the common kid in your home could become the common stranger, all because of familiarity. Isn't it true, friends, we lose passion by allowing something precious to us to become ordinary? This can happen in our families. This can happen with our faith. For example, we attend a good church like Union Chapel. We become familiar with the great opportunities for worship and fellowship and ministry and mission. And we can tend to forget what it was like before Jesus Christ became real to us. 
We forget what it was like to have that sense of emptiness and lack of meaning, lack of purpose before a relationship with Jesus. So many of us lack passion because something that was very precious to to us has become very familiar. It happens to us all, doesn't it? From one time or another, one season or another, we all suffer from this reality. So be aware that we allow something precious to become familiar and it will rob us of our passion. Here's a second thing. We want acceptance and we want approval. This takes passion from us. Something I've noticed. Passion draws people. Where you find a person who's on fire and passionate and they feel very deeply a meaningful God-centered goal in their life, that that tends to attract people to that passion. And something else I've noticed over the years, passion not only draws people, but it also repels people at the same time. Sometimes passionate people for Jesus realizes it reduces the amount of approval and acceptance they get from others. And it causes us to lower the temperature on our passion in an attempt to be more accepted, more normal, more average, more more lukewarm, like most Christians are. And indeed, that's the message that we get, isn't it? Your faith is a deeply personal thing, and it should be should be held close to you and should be privatized and you should think about it and think about it deeply. It should be contemplative that way, but it shouldn't be out there and it shouldn't be on display and you shouldn't, you shouldn't uh, expect others to notice your particular faith. See, the problem with that, of course, is that that's not what the Bible teaches. The New Testament actually teaches us that we are the light of the world. We are a city set on a hill. Jesus said, don't put your light under a bushel. Let your light shine before men. And let me just remind you, while everybody wants to be liked and accepted and approved of, Jesus said, look, they hate me and they're going to hate you. It's impossible to follow Jesus and have everybody like you at the same time. You okay with that? You've got to be okay. Remember the old song that said, rock the boat, don't rock the boat, baby. Rock the boat, don't tip the boat over. (laughs) I mean, that's that's the, the watchword of today's culture, especially toward Christian value and virtue. Don't rock the boat, don't be out there, don't get excited, don't be up front, don't be so bright, don't let your passion show. And so what happens is we want acceptance and approval, and it tends to dim our passion for Jesus. Here's a third thing, it's what I've been talking about, our society is passive. Our society is passive, for the reasons I've just mentioned. All of us know and love uh, Garfield the cat, right? Garfield said, one of my pet peeves is people who never finish what they start. I do not happen to be one of those people because my philosophy is I never start anything. And that's that's the way people find themselves. Oftentimes unwilling because of all the social pressure and all the pushback, you know, oh, you're a Christian. Well, you must be this or that or the other. And and, And automatically impugned in our culture today. For, for one reason or another. And so our society forces passivity upon us. That's another reason we lose passion. Here's number four. Apathy tends to increase with age. You want to write down the word increase. <laughs> Apathy tends to increase with age. Now, the natural tendency as we get older is for passion to ebb out of our lives. You name the subject, marriage, career, hobbies, our faith. These things tend to wane as we get older. Life in general tends to ebb out of us. And by reason of use, 
We tend to empty out as we get, as we get older. J.C. Ryle wrote a book called Zeal and Practical Religion. And he writes, if you only have one talent, don't bury it in the ground. Try to live as so to be missed. That's a good, that's a good line, isn't it? Try to live as so to be missed. There's far more to be done in 12 hours than most people have ever done in any day of their lives. Listen to this statement. It might be true that wise young believers are very rare. It might be true that wise young believers are very rare. But it is no less true that zealous older believers are very rare also. Well, let that soak in. Never allow yourself to think that you can do too much. For one man who does too much, I will show you a thousand who does not do enough. Lay to heart the words of the nobleman who said when told he ought to rest a while, what should we rest for? We have all eternity to rest. It's a good word, I think. I think Ryle is correct. Wisdom is rare in the young and zeal is rare in the old. I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, this actually slipped out. I don't know if it was this service or one of the others. It wasn't in my notes. That, that I, I want to, as I get older, I want to fight the natural tendency to get old and crotchety and negative and, and selfish as I get older. Because the tendency is, as you get older, that life just tends to narrow. It narrows down into the things that I want, the things that I like, and the things that make me comfortable. And that's all that matters. And I, and I just, you know, spontaneously said, sometimes I have to resist the urge to grab a rake run out in the front yard and just yell at somebody to get off the sidewalk. You know, get off my side. <laughs> and everyone thought that was funny. One of our older members heard me say that, and so this past week she bought me a new rake. <laughs> with a little note saying, I'm going to fight it too, Pastor. That's good. So knowing that you listen to those sorts of things, one other thing I want to add uh, to fight and resist my tendency to get crotchety as I get old is I is I really want to own and drive a really fast car. So if someone could be working on that, that'd be great. I mentioned rake, I get a rake. Apathy tends to increase with rage, so you've got you to fight it. Here's number five. When we have no purpose beyond ourselves, no purpose beyond ourselves, there's a popular book in print right now called I Am Second. Rick Warren wrote a book a decade ago, all-time bestseller, Purpose Driven Life. The first line of the book is, not about you. And so the message has been out there, but it's so difficult for us, isn't it, not to become completely egocentric and me-centered. But listen, when that happens... We have no purpose beyond ourselves. For too many people, life is about getting out of bed every morning and make sure their cereal still snap, crackles, and pops. You know, the prayer life for too many Christians in, a, in our culture is to bow your head and say grace over a too, too much food before a meal. Mm-hmm. Not good. Their lives lack passion. There's great power, though, in passion. Passion is the energy of our soul. Passion has tremendous power. And I, I've confessed to you in the past that for my life, I became a Christian when I was 16 years old because someone invited me to go to a meeting, a church meeting, where I could see and hear the gospel in a way that I could understand and receive for myself. The fr I grew up in church, but I'd never really gotten it 
till I was 16 and suddenly the message became real to me and Jesus became real to me and I, and I gave my life to Jesus. And I have to tell you, I immediately came to full speed for Jesus because when I met Jesus, and this is still true all these years later, Jesus is still the most interesting, the most inspiring, the most empowering, the most compelling person I've ever met. There's something about Jesus that really impassions me. And what happened to me is I got to full gallop very quickly in, in the early years of my faith. From that day, literally to this day, and all of these years in between, I've confessed to you that my life has been filled with voices that have asked me to slow down, to stop pushing so hard, don't be so demanding, lower your expectations, please be more patient. But wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm convinced that passion is the fuel for our soul for our sense of purpose, for our sense of destiny, for our sense of God's design for our lives. I believe that passion is essential to success. And so, really, it's not good to go around trying to throw water on the fire that people have, especially fire for God. Let people run. Let them burn. Let them go. Life is hard enough. They don't need Christian voices telling them to slow down, for crying out loud. So encourage people, motivate people, inspire people. Reverend Bill Roth said it this way, a passionate person is goal-oriented, visionary, is a self-starter, has positive, optimistic attitudes, gives 100% all the time, strives for excellence, isn't satisfied with mediocrity or the good enough feeling, is creative in getting things done no matter what, has a whatever-it-takes attitude, isn't overcome by obstacles, accepts responsibility, doesn't make excuses or shift the blame, looks for added challenges and responsibility, believes in people, inspires others to do their best, and rises to leadership. I like that. It's a good definition. The power of passion is a potent reality in people's lives. So we have no purpose behind ourselves. We'll lose that passion. Well, let me just uh, flip the coin now and talk about the benefits of passion, the power of passion, and what it will do for us if we can, if we can have it, and we can generate it, or we can re reclaim it. Here's the first thing I'd say. Passion is the first step in achievement. It's the first step in achievement. Now listen to this statement. It's very important. Our desires will determine our destiny. Our desires will determine our destiny. If one of you came up to me after the service today and said, Pastor Greg, listen, I want to do something great for God. I want to do something great for God. The first thing I would look for is not your background, is not your current status, is not your credentials. The first thing I would be interested in is that inner fire. Are you passionate? Are you cranked up? Are you, are you hot for this subject? The starting point of all achievement is desire. Hear that. Weak desires always bring weak results, just as a small amount of fire makes a small amount of heat. If you find yourself lacking in persistence, the weakness may be remedied by building a stronger fire under your desires. That could be it because our desires determine our destiny and the starting point of all achievement is desire. Let me give you an example. Some of you have made a study of the great apostle Paul. He wrote two-thirds of the New Testament Obviously, brilliant, genius, and fully committed, devoted as a follower of Jesus Christ. Here's what we know about Paul. He met defeat in Thessalonica because he was mobbed. 
In Philippi, he was beaten. In Corinth, he was persecuted. In Jerusalem, he was torn by the mob. We don't even know what that means, except that can't be pleasant. Torn by the mob. In all of these places, he suffered oppositions, stonings, persecution, prison. But listen to me. In Thessalonica, he built a great church. In Philippi, he built a great church. In Corinth, he built a great church. In Jerusalem, he built a great church. And that, that ought to just ring the bell for some of us. Because we realize, you know, geez, I, I meet a little opposition and I, I give up. Someone criticizes me for being so out there as a Christian person. And I, I go into a shell for six months. <laughs> I, someone just pushes back, just puts a little pressure on me. And I, I just cave in, collapse under the pressure. This guy's beaten within an inch of his life, stoned, thrown into prison, ridiculed, reviled. And along the way, he's planting great churches because he's a man with a purpose and he's a man with passion and he's a man with persistence. He's getting it. Now watch this though. There's only one place Paul did not plant a church and it was in the city of Athens. The problem there, I think, was indifference. See, Athens was a place that was highly intellectual. It was institutionalized that way. You know, the ivory tower community. And this is a place where people focused on all the options. There was a pantheon of gods in the Greek world. And here, and here they were. And they said, oh, you're a follower of Jesus? Great. He seems like a nice guy. Put him up on the mantle with all the other gods that we option here in the city of Athens. Even the great apostle Paul couldn't build a church in a place with an indifferent and apathetic spirit. Now listen to me carefully, listen. It doesn't matter what your IQ is, it doesn't matter what your educational achievements are, or your perceived usefulness by others. What matters is whether you have passion for the things that God calls you to, that you have some fire about the things God has asked you to do, because passion is the first step to achievement. If you have passion, I can predict your future, you will achieve if you are a passionate person. And if you don't have passion, then I don't care how cute you are, how smart you are, how positioned you are, how, how, how advantaged you are. It doesn't matter because if you don't have passion, God can't help you. Passion is an essential to success in life. And passion is the first step to achievement. Now here's number two. Passion increases productivity. Now that's just common sense, isn't it? It's almost axiomatic. If you're a passionate person, it's going to make you more productive. And in, in course it does. Passion is the difference in employees. You think about it, the difference in employees at your institution or your company. Passionate people work harder. They stay longer. They invest in people and causes that influence others. They're all in. They put down roots. They give of their time, their talent, their resource. They give of themselves to make the world a better place, to make the people around them better. This is what passion does. It increases productivity. Let me offer a third thing. Passion changes lives. Passion changes lives. Now listen to this statement. Passion is the only thing I know Christ can use to change lives. It's the only thing I know. If you care about Jesus and care about people knowing him in a personal way, then that will motivate you to make the connection with those in need. It'll motivate you. If you really care about 
Jesus and a personal relationship with him and the people who are yet to know him, that will move you. That will, that will cause passion and compassion toward those people and motivate you to engage them at the point of their need. Listen, when I invited Beth to join me at church when we were 17 years old, it was because I was passionate about the possibility of someone so precious to me finding hope in Jesus. I had found that hope and I wanted her to find that hope. And I'm so glad that she chose to follow. I wonder how many of you in this room right now have become a devoted follower of Jesus Christ that began when someone cared enough about you to invite you to a setting where you could hear and experience the gospel in a meaningful way. I want to just raise your hand. I'm in that category. If someone hadn't invited me, I don't know where I'd be today. Isn't it true that there's great power in an invitation? Yes, there is. Yes, there is. It's a powerful thing. Passion changes lives. Watch this, number four. Passion changes me. Passion changes me. I can speak personally. My passion for souls has changed my priorities in life. I can tell you, at one point in my life, I was headed in that direction. I can tell you what I was going to do, what I was going to be, what I was going to become. I could tell you that what mountains I was going to climb, I was going in that direction. And suddenly, when Jesus came into my life, and I realized how valuable and how important he is to the world and to, er- and to everyone in it, my, my priorities changed. My passion for Jesus changed me. My passion for missions changed my methods. My passion for leadership has changed my goals in life. My goals were one set of things, and, but my passion to lead here well and to lead the next generation well, that has changed my goals. So my priorities are changed. My methods are changed. My goals are changed. I can tell you that I was 26 years old when I became the pastor here at Union Chapel, and I was just a 26-year-old kid, really, who, who had lots of flaws I was very naive about a lot of things, naivete born out of that idealism. But I can tell you one thing for sure that I was. I was a kid who was on fire for God. I was on fire for God. And I'll tell you something else. I didn't look around. I didn't survey anyone for their opinion. I was just interested in winning people for Jesus. And let me just tell you, I mentioned this before. When you're passionate about something, it will attract people and it will also repel people. It has both effects. And there were some who approved at the time and some who didn't approve. And that was okay with me. Listen, water always finds its own level. That's the way it is. Water always finds its own level. And that's what happened. The people who excel the most, therefore, aren't the most brilliant. Those who've had the best breaks, those born on the right side of the tracks, those with the right connections. And the sooner you get off of that baloney, the better off you will be in life. There are people who have a passion in their heart. You see, if success was intelligence or it was academic achievement, then I would understand why some succeed and some don't. If it was all about IQ, then I would understand why some have and some don't. What I'm talking about today is something that everyone in this room and within the sound of my voice can have, and that is passion about the right things. You can be on fire for the right things, and God will give you great success. So passion actually changes me. It changes me as a person. Here's the last thing I want to mention. Passion makes impossibilities possible. Impossibilities possible. People who accomplish what seems to be impossible don't really do the impossible. You understand that, right? I mean, if it was impossible, then it would be impossible. 
So people who seem to be doing the impossible don't really do the impossible. Rather, they have done what impossibility thinkers thought impossible. What all the naysayers said can't be done. What all the critics said can't be achieved. That's what's happened. Now, I know there are a lot of young people in this service this, this morning. I want to I just talk to young people for a minute, and you can decide if you're young or not. I want you to, I want you to hear me on this one. Everything I have ever felt passionate about, everything I've ever felt passionate about, and please don't hear arrogance here or lack of accountability or wrong thinking, but everything I have ever felt passionate about, I have never felt the need for anyone's approval or permission or even forgiveness. I've just, I've never felt that. Now, I understand the power of agreement and the importance of building consensus and, and the value of collaboration and, 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 to, and to construct partnerships because nobody succeeds by themselves. I mean, we all need each other. And, and, and I get that. I, you know, that's a high value for me. But let me tell you something about a passionate person. They really couldn't care less what anyone but Jesus thinks about it. Couldn't care less. They really, they really don't care what anybody else says, what anybody else does, what anybody else thinks. And that's not an arrogant or independent statement. What I'm telling you this morning is that passion is the fuel. Passion is the fuel for achieving great things. Passion is, is the source of achieving the impossible. And it's so essential that I want to just stir you to higher levels of passion if I can. Now listen, I hope you can catch the fire. I hope you can generate some passion for people who are lost and without hope. I hope the big push is an outlet for your passion and compassion for people in need. But if it's not, it's okay. Really, that's great. If you're not passionate about helping people find Jesus, fine. You don't have to be involved in this activity of winning souls for Jesus. Just go wander off by yourself and do whatever it is you're passionate about. And that's great. But where there is passion... There is always someone who catches the spark. There's always someone who says, you know, I think I'm passionate about that too. I think that really matters. I think that's meaningful. That is purposeful. That's something that I can engage. That's something I want to be part of. A movement will always happen around passion. Always. There will be many who start to feel the heat and begin to follow in the way. And that's what happens around passion. Our Father in the faith John Wesley of the Methodist movement, John Wesley said, look, he said, all I do is get on fire for God and people come to watch me burn. It's an insightful statement. Now, let me ask, don't you remember the guy on your team growing up and he didn't have all the natural ability, all the natural talent, but he was an overachiever, remember him? It was because he was so passionate about his sport. He was the kind of guy that you love to have on your team because he'd do anything to make the team successful. He'd give his heart and his soul and his body to, to see success in the team. And you love to have that guy as a teammate. Remember that guy? You hated to play against him because he was an irritant at every level. He just wore you out with his intensity and his passion. He was relentless that way. Hated to play against guys like that. But you remember having that guy on your team? How about that? How about that little girl in your class? Now, back in the day, some of you young people won't appreciate this, but back in the day in, in, in schools, in public schools, when you finished an assignment, the teacher would call your name and your grade, and you would get up out of your seat, walk to her desk, his desk, 
and get, get your assignment back to you. So, they, you know, they say, Beth, you have an A. And Beth would get up out of her seat and walk to the desk and get the A. We don't do that anymore in public schools because we don't want to damage the psyche of our little children. We wouldn't want to put any extra pressure on them in any way to actually excel and achieve. That would be really insensitive to them to do something like that. So we don't actually challenge our kids quite that way anymore. But you remember that little girl in your class? And she really didn't, she really didn't have the capacity to make A's. And she was just very average in her intelligence. But she, she tried really hard. And so when the teacher would call Susie Q's name and say, Susie, you got a B minus. And you hear, well, B minus, that's, that's not, not great. But I guess it's okay. And little Susie would walk up to the desk. She'd get her paper. When she would spin around, you remember the countenance on her face? She was so proud of that B minus. She was so proud of that, that grade. It's like she couldn't wait to get home to show her parents, like, I got a B minus. You remember that girl? Listen to me. Last thought. There are, there are people in this room today, and you've received diplomas because you achieved a certain grade level, accomplishment. You have maybe transcripts from your college years. Some of them are real sparkly. For most of us who have uh, diplomas and transcripts and that sort of thing, they're in a file somewhere. I'm not sure we could put our hands on them, but we know they're in there somewhere. And they've been there for a long time. Remember all those trophies and plaques and ribbons and medals that you received? Maybe when you were growing up, people told you, you know, you're smart and you're talented and you're handsome and you're pretty and you've got what it takes and you got all these awards and you were special that way. I don't know about you, but whatever little trinkets I've received in my life, they're in a box up in the attic somewhere. I'm not even sure I could find them. Let me tell you what happens in real life, friends. That there are people, no matter from where they start, that they go out into life, and no matter where they were born, and no matter how smart they were, what their IQ was, or what grades they got in school, or, or how much people admired them for one quality or another, no matter their start, or how disadvantaged they, they were, and average they were, and uh, lacking in potential they might have been, no matter, there are people who start their life and no matter their background, they actually are passionate about things that matter. They embrace the values and the virtues that make for success in life. They give their lives to God in a meaningful way, and they honor covenant, and they get in relationships that matter, and they begin to live their lives, and no matter where they started, they make a success of their lives. And there are other people who have the same advantage and maybe disadvantage, and they fail to find passion and purpose and meaning in their life and they go off and they make a mess of their lives. And you can give multiple examples of both. But what I'm telling you today is that if you want to be a success, you need to have a meaningful purpose. You need to be impassioned about that thing that God has called you to be part of and you need to persist all the way to the finish line. And if you'll do that, God will see your life fruitful and meaningful and successful and so there it is passion is essential you say well how do I get passion pastor let me just give you a couple ideas we'll be done watch this first of all believe that passion is important because it really is it's a deciding factor in many people's lives realize this that God wants passionate followers God wants your lights on God wants your fire burning 
God wants your oil level filled up. God wants you on for him. He wants your light to shine. You believe that? He does. God wants passionate followers. And here's another thing you can do. Pray for passion. So my passion is, has waned. It's low. Pray. God, stoke the fire. Uh, God, help me to return to my first love. God, help me to, to reclaim the gifts that you've placed in my life because you'll find passion in the context of your gifts. You find out what God has gifted you to do and you re-embrace those and cultivate those gifts. You'll find the fire beginning to burn again in your life. Because passion is found there. And live in an atmosphere where your goals can be seen and achieved. Live in such a way that you set the goal out there and then you go for it. And you can measure that and find out if you've hit it. And associate with people who are passionate. Hang out with people who are passionate. You've heard me in the earlier say, look, water finds its own level. It's true. Listen, winners hang out with winners. And losers do the same. It's the way of the world. Check it out. So evaluate who it is you associate with and who you hang with. And if they're not passionate for the right thing and they're not passionate for God, you change your associations and it'll help your passion to be focused in the right way. Have an ear for this today? God wants us to be passionate people. And I hope that you'll live in such a way. Would you stand with me? Let's pray for just a moment. Lord, we thank you this morning that... For all of us uh, to be reminded of the importance of passion, Lord, I confess today that I'm a person who sometimes allows my passion to wane, and I suffer from the consequences of that. Lord, I, I suffer from that in my faith and sometimes in my family and sometimes in my closest relationships, the things that really matter. Lord, I, I take what is precious and I allow it, allow it to become familiar, too common. Lord, uh, set us free from that. Lord, we believe today that passion is an important part of who we are and our success in life. It's the deciding difference in so many ways. So, Lord, we pray today that you would help us to stoke afresh and anew, stir up the passion, let the fire burn again. I pray for people in the room who actually understand their spiritual gifts. And I pray, Lord, that they would focus on those gifts and realize that you find your passion in the context of those gifts. Stir us up, we pray. Lord, help us to associate with people who are passionate, to hang out with folks who, whose fire is hot. Let it, let it get on us as well, Lord. In all these ways, Lord, help us to be passionate. Help us to be purposeful. Help us to persist. We thank you, God, for your faith, for your grace sufficient in our lives. Now bless us, each one, at the point of our need. We pray in Jesus' name. Everyone said.